Today's reading is Acts 1, 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you ever take time to look back on your life? You say, well, I haven't lived that long yet. But seriously, it's still a good exercise to take time to look back on your life and specifically to look back on your life to see ways that God may be involved in your life in shaping your life. I think it's a very um, important exercise to do, and I think it can be a very encouraging exercise. And here's why. Because when you look back on your life, what happens is if you're looking for God's movement, you often see that God is moving slowly, gradually, almost imperceptibly at times. And it's when you take time to, 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 to look back and to see the ways that God has been shaping your life, you begin to see that perhaps there's one or two really significant things that he has done in your life. And that those things are, are really deep changes because they've been forged under pressure and over time. So that exercise of looking back and taking inventory and, and wanting to see, you know, how has God been shaping my life is a very important and a very encouraging exercise. And that whole issue of how God forges us under pressure and over time has certainly been my experience. I look back on the first 10 years of my time here at Grace as the darkest time of my life. Uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was 10 years of opposition, of sabotage, of deceit, of dysfunction uh, at every level from day one. And on top of that, I didn't realize it at the time, but there were also attacks, spiritual attacks from the demonic world. And the first seven years here almost killed me, literally. And for those of you who have been around have heard me recount this some before. But it took a real physical toll on me as well. Within the first four years, my hair turned completely gray from stress, kind of like the presidents. You know, they all come in looking good, and then they, within four years, they look like they've just been, you know, gone to the ringer. It took a real physical toll in, in, in not only in my hair, but I was, I was having nonspecific anxiety attacks. 
um, I was, at one point, because of the stress, I could pull just clumps of my hair out because of the, of the stress. I was grinding my teeth at night, and in the time, the anxiety got so bad that I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I had this agreement with my wife that uh, I was going to try to practice Philippians 4, and that is whatsoever things are true. That's a, a list of things, and what was going on was there's, with anxiety, there were so many things that were being projected out about the future and, and fear and panic, and so she agreed with me to pray with me until I would fall back asleep again, and that was how I, I fell back asleep for a long period of time. And what's interesting, even as I reflected on telling you this story, was that um, when I candidated here, one of the elders uh, told me, he said, I'll never forget sitting in his car, and he was driving, and um, he said to me, he turned around and kind of looked at me like this, I'm in the back seat, he says, he says, if you lead strong, you'll be fine, he says, but if you don't, they'll eat you alive. And I thought to myself, wow, that's the church. <laughs> and so from, from day one, it felt like I was going into hand-to-hand combat, and I better be strong, and I better not be weak. And it was during those first 10 years that my life was being crushed and, being, and coming under tremendous weakness that I was, for the most part, fighting against because I knew that I, I could not be weak and, and pastor this church. But looking back now, I, I can see how God was at work shaping my life for the future that he wanted to give to me and the work that he wanted to do in my life. And so after 10 years of kind of getting beat up and resisted at every turn, I knew that my only hope for surviving and for seeing some kind of a turnaround here in this church was if there was a real work of the Spirit of God. I came to the conclusion that it wasn't going to be because of my preaching. It wasn't going to be because of my leadership. It certainly wasn't going to be because of my good looks or charm. (laughs) And around 2001, God made it possible for me to to have the opportunity to go study up in around Boston at Gordon-Conwell and to have the opportunity to study under Dr. Richard Lovelace. And it was his last time leading a doctoral cohort, and that's why I wanted to go. I wanted to study under him because he wrote... Um, oh, that was a quote that I wanted to give. I forgot about it. Go back to that quote, would you? That's a great quote. I got on the story. Great quote by Henry Now, and when we are crushed like grapes, we cannot think of the wine we will become. Isn't that great? That's a great quote. All right, thank you. Uh, Richard Lovelace wrote this book on dynamics of spiritual life. And this has, been, uh, this has been referred to as a classic on understanding the ongoing dynamics of spiritual renewal within church history. And it was written years ago. I had read it, and then uh, it was very transformative then. But now, having gone through this experience 10 years, I went like, there's something in that book that I know resonates with me, and I wanted to see, I wanted to see new life break out here. I wanted to see that new life become a reality, and so I had the opportunity to to go study under Richard Lovelace. And it was through this experience that God opened my eyes to something that's changed my life since then. And you might think, well, what is that? And it's this. It's an awareness of the kingdom of God. It's an awareness of the kingdom of God. You see, although I'd grown up in the church, the gospel, which for those of you who may not have been around church very much, the gospel means good news. The good news that I had heard growing up in church was largely the good news about heaven. It was a gospel about heaven. And it went like this. You suck, the world sucks, Jesus came to save you. And if you accept Jesus into your heart, whatever that means, because that language is not found in the Bible, then you can go to heaven when you die. 
or if Jesus comes to, to get you out of this miserable world. And most people opted for the second because most of us are afraid to die. We don't want to die, so we're looking forward to that. And that was the gospel. That was the good news that I had basically been exposed to. And looking back on it, I realized that that good news was largely about me. It was largely about my future. And that, that gospel, that good news, largely stripped the present and the present world from any significance to God and certainly any significance to me. And you see, I didn't have the whole story. It was there in the Bible the whole time. I had even gone to, to graduate school to study the Bible and, and missed the whole story. It's interesting, if you look at the Bible as a collection of books, you see that it's the, the, the genre that's a predominant genre is that of narrative, meaning story. The Bible comes to us mainly in the form of story. It had been there all along, but I had missed it. I hadn't seen it. And I needed the whole story, and I think that we need still today the whole story. One reason the younger generations have lost interest in the church is because the story that's so big and, and fills the longings of the human heart has been reduced to, to church and church events. And I, I, think that, I think that pastors are partly to blame uh, for this as well when they give the impression that the kingdom of God is about growing a church or a church's reputation. Or worse, their own reputation or their own brand of coolness or relevance. And that seems to be just in epidemic proportions in the church today where a pastor grows his brand and then he steps outside the church and consults the church on how to, to be as cool as, as he is. So when you get a generation that tried what was offered and, and now they don't care, then basically they, in their minds they think to themselves that they have given up on God. Yet what's interesting is that Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will build my church. And in Matthew 6, 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Notice, notice the difference between those two. Jesus says he will build his church. That's his business. That's his job. And he tells us, as his people, to seek first the kingdom of God. And that's what I want to explore with you in the coming weeks. I want to talk with you about the kingdom of God. And I've titled the series Living in God's Kingdom. Living in God's Kingdom. And it's not simply about understanding what the kingdom of God is about. So I, it's not just about, I mean, the understanding needs to be there. Well, you know, what is meant by the kingdom of God? But it's also what I want to go after is what does it look like to live in this reality of the kingdom of God? What does it look like to live in that in our daily lives with whatever your life consists of? What does it look like to live there? And what I'm hoping that you'll get as a result of this and that we, we will get is a vision for living for something larger than a Sunday-only Christianity. I think for many of us, we've settled for that. This is as good as it gets. You, you attend church and you call yourself a Christian and whatever happens in church, you know, you just don't want to admit that at times it's really, really boring and it's pretty predictable. And what I'm, off, what I'm suggesting to you is that there's something more than that. And for that, I turn to 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, and it's up there on the screen behind me. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So Paul is saying that, that God has something more for us that we can't even begin to fathom. That the spirit of God has 
prepared for us as his people. And that's what I want to step into with you. And I think it's bound up in this, this understanding and stepping into the kingdom of God. And so this is about grasping what God has revealed about the world and his presence in it and his plan for it and the things that he wants to give to us so that we can partner with him in his work in the world. In other words, I want to get at these questions. What fuels our imaginations? What fires us up to anticipate the future? And when you silently think there's, there's got to be more to life than this, whatever this is for you, there's got to be more to life than this, what is it that you long for? What is it that you hope for? And this is what I really want to go after. What is it that fuels our imaginations to live for something bigger than our own existence? See, I sense a real hunger that is beginning to kind of bubble up within this community. It's something I've waited 26 years for, to tell you the truth. Waited 26 years to see and to, to begin to experience what I think we're now beginning to experience, and that is a real spiritual hunger and the freedom to say, yes, I want whatever it is that God wants to give to me. I want the life of the Spirit. I want the life that Jesus offers, and I want the fullness of it. And I don't want to settle for just whatever it is that has been offered in the past, which is perhaps just kind of orthodoxy or having correct beliefs, but I want life. I want the reality of it. And I sense that that's beginning to bubble up and people are beginning to say, to step into it and want to embrace Jesus, not just the Bible, but Jesus. And there's this hunger, there's this thirsting, and there's this willing to, to admit it and is willing to let it be known, the willing to take the risks to be known as a person who has that hunger. So I sense that the Spirit of God is doing something here that's tremendous. At least for me, it's really, really encouraging to see that. Sometimes, you know, you need to know that this is what, you know, someone like me sees in you all and sees this, this thirst and this openness and this readiness. And it's very, very encouraging. So today I want to begin with a question, what is the kingdom of God? And it might sound odd since we live in a culture where there aren't a lot of kings and certainly our country is not one. We, uh, we told, our founding fathers told King George III to take a hike, and we haven't looked back since then. But the kingdom of God framed Jesus' ministry. So if you want to open up your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1, if you would, please. There's a Bible underneath your seat, Mark chapter 1. We will be looking at a couple passages here, so either that or an app, as long as you're not uh, playing any games or texting somebody. Jesus begins his announcement in Mark chapter 1, that's page 836 in the Blue Bibles. He begins his, his ministry with the announcement about the kingdom of God in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. 
Uh, it says, now after 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus begins his ministry and he says, here's what my public ministry is going to be about. It involves good news and the fact that it's, it's, it's called the gospel. You, you know, Jesus didn't create that word. That word came out of the culture of his day. And it typically involved the announcement concerning a king's arrival or the victory of a king. And a herald would go in front of, of the, the, the conquering army and would come to the city and say, here is the good news, here is the gospel. And it involved a king or the victory of a king. So when Jesus picks up this language, he's picking up language of his day. And it's basically saying, it's news, meaning that you can't figure this out on your own. It has to be announced to you. But it's also good news. It's good news as well. But you have to take action on it for it to benefit you. And so he says, you need to repent, meaning you need to turn from the direction you've been going in life, and you need to believe. And he's saying, you need to trust me. So there's a relational component to this good news that Jesus is presenting. At the end of Jesus' public ministry in Matthew 24, 14, he ends his public ministry by talking about the kingdom of God as well. So he frames it, his, his beginning and ending of his ministry, by talking about the kingdom of God. Turn over to Acts chapter 1, verse 3, that we heard Stephen read to us today. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, that after Jesus' bodily resurrection, he's present to eat with people, he's, he's showing his resurrected body, he's having conversations with people. And Luke uh, summarizes it by saying in verse 3, to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. What was important to Jesus to talk about for 40 days? The kingdom of God. So for Jesus, this was central to his public ministry. It was also central to him as he appeared in his resurrected body to talk to these people prior to his ascension about the kingdom of God. Well, what about the early followers of Jesus? Well, Luke, in his Acts historical narrative, chronicles essentially a 40-year period. And when you think of 40 years, when you hear 40 years, it should cause us to think of what? The Exodus, right? The Exodus from Egypt. And so basically what Luke is, is revealing is another Exodus, a second Exodus, this time involving the, the resurrection of Jesus, the giving of the Spirit, and the release of the people of God to once again, this time, fill the earth, not just a promised land that God had given to Israel. And so what Luke chronicles here is the spread of the gospel, of this good news from Jerusalem all the, way, all the way to Rome, the cultural, political, economic center of the first century world. And at the end of this chronicle of, his, of the spreading of the good news, turn to Luke 28. We see a summary again where he bookends, just as Matthew did, Acts 28, 30 to 31. This time it's about Paul and the last words on Paul are found in Acts 28, 30, 31. It says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Paul's at the end of his ministry and he's saying, there's two things that I want to talk about. 
Jesus and the kingdom of God. So after all that he had done, after all that he had gone through, he's in house arrest and people are free to come to him and he says, there's two things that I want to talk about. I want to talk about Jesus and I want to talk about the kingdom of God. As I thought about this verse and as I was thinking about it this week and just kind of spending time meditating on it, I thought, you know, I really couldn't improve on that. After years of, of, of wanting to be shaped by Jesus and following Jesus and knowing Jesus, and I thought to myself, you know, it really is about Jesus. And it really is about the kingdom of God. And I want, I want that to be what my life is about. I want that to be what my conversation is about. I want that to be what I pour into others as a, as a hunger to know Jesus and to, to live in the reality of the kingdom of God. So this should make us ask the question, so what is this good news of the kingdom of God? We've seen how it, it, it's so important to Jesus and to the early Christians. What is this good news of the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus did not invent this term. Jesus didn't invent this idea of the kingdom of God. He uses it against the backdrop of the Old Testament. And specifically, the coming of the Lord once again to dwell among his people. And this, is, this draws upon this narrative that we see as we read through the Old Testament. How many are doing the, the Bible project? How many, how many are still doing? That's a question. How many are still doing the Bible project? Okay, there's a, there's a remnant of us. There's a remnant of us. The rest of you, come on, you guys. Let's go. Step it up. There needs to be a little high challenge here in this, in this community. All right? I, it's one of the things I was talking in our life group this week. I said, we got into this conversation. I said, you know, one of the things that I long for is I long to be in a community where we challenge each other to be our best for Jesus. Yeah, I, I, played, I played on a, a, a championship football team in Ohio. I uh, had the longest winning streak in the state of Ohio. And one of the things that these guys did was they, they challenged each other to be really, really good. And when, when you've had that experience about being challenged to be really, really good in something by other people, by your peers, it really makes a difference in your life. That's one of the things that I think that we as a church could improve in is being bold enough to challenge each other, to, to give our best, to do our best, to stretch, to have some effort, to have some skin in the game. And one of the ways that we do that is by reading the Bible and even reading the Bible at places where there's a bunch of names that we don't understand and, you know, and genealogies and things like that. It's interesting because I think that Jesus allows us to skim all right. I think that Jesus is okay with us skimming at times some of those places and going, like, Jesus, if, if you want me to stop and realize something, make my eye fall on something right now because I'm skimming. And you say, well, that sounds like the fleece. Yeah, it probably is. Um, how did I get off on that? Uh, the Bible Project. Reading through the Bible, and if you're reading through the Bible, you're realizing that, that the, the narrative arc of the Old Testament is one of, of God calling these people to himself. Why? Be, not because of who they were, but because of his grace. And he says that in Deuteronomy. And he calls them because he wants to partner with them in redeeming the world. And what happens again and again is you see Israel saying to God, no, we want to be like the rest of the nations. We want the gods like the rest of the nations. We want what everybody else has. Sound familiar? And so he allows them to say no to him. 
And in their rebellion, what ends up is that they end up bringing upon themselves the result of their idolatry, and that is their captivity. Idols will always bring you into bondage. They will always enslave you. And in this case, they go into slavery in Babylon. And even when they're finally freed from Babylon and they're brought back to the land that God promised to them, they're still not free because the Roman Empire is oppressing them. It's occupied that land that was promised to them. And so it's against this background that Jesus comes announcing that this kingdom is arriving, that the return of the Lord as king is once again what Israel needs to hear. And that makes sense then of Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, verse 5. Listen to these words. It's an incident where Jesus tells two of these people to go out, two disciples to go out and look for this, this donkey and says the Lord needs them. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mountain on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So it makes sense of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. He is the returning king that Israel longed to have and Israel needed. It also makes sense of his parables, where he talks about this master who comes back to his home after a long journey, the idea of the return of a king. It's about the presence of God within Israel, both for judgment and for salvation, for deliverance, for vindication of God's people as well, the defeat of Israel's enemies in keeping with Daniel 7:14. So why is Israel so central to this? Because God had called them to be a light to the nations, Isaiah 49:6, Genesis 18:19, Exodus. 19, 4 to 6. All those texts talk about Israel being called to be a light to the nation. They were intended to be God's partner in renewing the world, in renewing humanity, in bringing the world back to the way it was supposed to be. But their story reveals a people who continue to turn away from God and break trust and fail at their mission. So this is where Jesus comes in. So I'm giving you a real compact history here. This is where Jesus comes in. He is the climax of Israel's story. So if you're talking to people who have no idea what the Bible is about, and they say, so what's the deal with Jesus? Here's your answer. Jesus is the climax of Israel's story. We don't have two books, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles, one for the Jews, one for the Christians, one for the way God used to be and the way God is now. That's not the way to read the Bible. Jesus is the climax of Israel's story. And the way that we can see that is you look at the Gospels, and Matthew makes that point with his introductory genealogy. He traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to Abraham. What do we know about Abraham? God had given the promise to him to make a great nation, make a great people through him to bless the world. Jesus' lineage is traced to Abraham, and it's also traced in that genealogy to King David. Mark opens up his Gospel by tying Jesus to a quote from Malachi and Isaiah. Again, tying Jesus' story to Israel. When you come to Luke, you see Luke opening up with John the Baptist as Samuel reprised. Who is Samuel? He's the one who anointed Israel's first two kings, Saul and David. And then when you come to the Gospel of John, John goes back to Genesis to say that Jesus is not only the climax of Israel's story, but he's the climax of all of creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tying Jesus all the way back 
to the beginning of creation. And then Peter in Acts 10.38, in a speech that he gives, says that Jesus came as God's anointed one. That's the language of kingship, doing good, healing all oppressed by the devil because God was with them. So you see, Jesus gets what Adam and Israel failed to get right. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 15.45, Paul calls him the second Adam. Because Jesus got right what Adam failed to get right, and that is to partner with God in a faithful relationship of trust, to partner with him for the sake of the world. In other words, what Jesus now has done is in his life, in his faithfulness to God, through his death and resurrection, he's given us life, and he's given us the invitation to partner with him for the sake of the world. So the kingdom of God is about God's mission through Jesus to restore and renew all things. Listen to Colossians 1, 19 and 20 with that in mind. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's saying that in Jesus, God has has worked out his plan to bring all things back to the way they're supposed to be, in right relationship. And this has taken place in Jesus. So this is about this world. That gospel that I told you about the gospel of heaven, this tells us that this good news of the kingdom is about this world, is about this present reality. It's not about leaving this world. It's not about looking for some other kind of of reality outside of this world. God is concerned about this world. He's concerned about the lives that we live. He's concerned about making right the things that are broken in our world. And you know what? It didn't stop with the book of Acts. When the book of Acts was finished being written, it didn't stop then. That what began then spread from Jerusalem to Rome and is spreading throughout all the earth. And if you happen to go to other places, especially in developing world countries, you will see the hand of God in ways you'll never see here in the States. God is on the move. The Spirit of God, the Kingdom of God is spreading. So what's the good news of the Kingdom of God? It's good news that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the Christ. And when you say that, you're not saying Jesus' last name. It's not Jesus and his last name is Christ. Christ is a term that is referring to the anointed king. So to say that Jesus is the Christ is to say that he is God's anointed king. And whenever you talk about the kingdom of God, you're asking the question, who is in charge? Who is in charge of this world? And to say that the kingdom of God, to talk about the kingdom of God is to say that Jesus is Lord. He is the Christ. He is God's anointed king. And it's saying there's someone greater than Caesar. There is someone greater than Vladimir Putin. There is someone greater than Bashar al-Assad. Someone greater than Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, Ted Cruz, and Donald Trump. It's King Jesus. Wow, that was weak. And I stepped on everybody's, I mean, if you're, if you're going to be voting, I stepped on all the potential candidates, and I still got a, amen. <laughs> Jesus gets one vote. <laughs> Certainly no delegates. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Someone appreciates my humor. I mean, Jesus is Lord. And that, that whole message of the kingdom means that we are people who identify with this person who has authority over everything. He has power over th- everything. He has first place over everything. There's nothing in this world that can stand up to, to Jesus as king. He is king over everything. He is present, he is powerful, and he's working his plan to bring things to the place that he wants them to be, to restore the world to the way it's supposed to be. And he continues to invite people to join him in that partnership in the kingdom of God. And that's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian doesn't mean, oh good, I get to sit in church on Sundays while everybody else gets to sleep in. To be a Christian is to be invited into this partnership with the king of the universe who is powerful and working his plan out and has invited us and has given us what we need to partner with him to push back the forces of evil, to push back the brokenness of this world and to see real restoration and real change take place in people's lives, in our workplace, in our homes, in our families, in our friendships, at school, wherever we are, we have the ability to see Jesus do something different. And that's the lenses that he wants to give us with the kingdom of God. And basically it means there's something far more than just Sunday morning church. And if that's where you are and you've basically just been holding on going, like, you know, I've really been thinking about going to another church. I heard there's one that has a lot more excitement than this one and, you know, whatever it might be. It is much more than Sunday church. It is about the kingdom of God. Now, what about you? In the one minute I have left, Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what? I want to say yes to that. There's something about that that resonates with me. There's something that gives me hope, something that stirs me. And as I was driving in today, I, I was praying and I was thinking to myself, you know, I wonder, if, I wonder if there are people here today who've never said yes to joining Jesus in his work in the world. See, I think it's easy for us to assume that if we say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, okay, fine. You say you're a Christian. What does that mean? And and so it's like, that's the conversation stopper right there. I'm a Christian. You can't challenge me. You know, I've got the card. I've got the membership. I'm in. I'm good. But as I've just explained to you, to to be a follower of Jesus is to be someone who's joining him in the kingdom and his work in the world. So there really does need to be a place where we say, we verbalize with our mouths, not just with our heads. We're in a relationship, so it needs conversation, needs words being formed. And we say to Jesus, you know what? I I never said to you, I want to join you in what you're doing in the world. And maybe one of the reasons why you're not seeing Jesus do more through you is because you've never said yes to him. You've never accepted his invitation. And he will let us say no to him. So maybe it just begins with saying yes to him. Just saying, gee, I never thought about that before, but Jesus, just in case it's not clear, I want to say to you, I want to join you in your work in the world. I want to be part of what you're doing in the world. And I want to be open to what you want to do through me and what you want to do around me. And that may be the place to start today. So I just want to throw that out there. as a possibility that maybe that's where... That may be a good starting place as we 
press into this, what it looks like to live in the reality of the kingdom of God. So just take a minute, and then if that's something you want to say to Jesus, just quietly, you can verbalize the words. Please feel free to speak to Jesus. Um, No one's going to think that you're odd for doing that because Jesus is here, and then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, as you hear um, words being spoken to you, Whoever those people are, I ask that you would um, meet them with a sense of your love, your embrace, your delight in them. That your smile is on their lives because you invite us into something that is so grand and so glorious and so big that we can't even begin to comprehend it. So I ask that you would raise up from within this community people who want to step afresh into the life that you offer to us as citizens of your kingdom. We acknowledge Jesus that you are Lord. Amen.